welcome to, to, to King's Cross Church. Uh, we are in the middle of a series, as you've probably guessed, on uh, the great book of Nehemiah. Uh, it's an Old Testament book, uh, and uh, as you've, you've probably guessed, it's an Old Testament book about a guy uh, named Nehemiah. Uh, and what we're, what we're doing uh, throughout this series that we started uh, about a month ago is we're, we're sort of unpacking the narrative. We're unpacking the narrative story of, of Nehemiah. Uh, and, and this has been kind of like a fun, fascinating book to go through, right? Uh, it's been, really, it's been really, really fun to go through this book because there's so many parallels really to Nehemiah's mission and, and to ours. There's a lot of parallels to, to his mission in his day when he was rebuilding the city and, and our mission today in planting and launching a new, a new church. Uh, just like God gave Nehemiah this new sort of spiritual burden for rebuilding his city, like for many of us, for many of us in this room who've committed to launching this new church, like God has, has given us sort of a new spiritual burden for, for our community, a new spiritual burden for, for really this, this, new, this new church that we're, we're called to serve in. And so Nehemiah and his crew, his little posse that he's with, like their, their mission is much like ours in church planning, which is in a nutshell, is just to, to, to know God, to know God, to celebrate Him, and to make Him known. And so we're going through Nehemiah chapter by chapter, and we're getting sort of this great picture, this great snapshot of how God works in and through His people. And today in chapter 4, specifically, and and really over the next few weeks, in chapters also 5 and 6, what we're going to see now in this story is that opposition comes against this great leader, Nehemiah. Opposition comes against Nehemiah and the people as they're trying to accomplish the will of God. And that's sort of the big idea for this morning, is that whenever you're trying to accomplish God's will, whenever you're trying to serve on God's mission, like you're always going to face some sort of opposition. That's sort of an important thing that we see repeated again and again throughout the scriptures. Like every time someone or some group of people, like they go to do the work of God, they, they, they face opposition. And curiously enough, in this book, we see that, you know, when we started this series, we have one chapter on prayer, right? And then the next chapter was on preparing the work. And, and then through Nehemiah's hustle, we saw in the next chapter that the, we saw about the people last week who did that work. And then now we begin three chapters on the opposition to that work. Three whole chapters to, dedicated to the opposition. It's almost like there's something in this theme that God, when he inspired these words to be written, and there's something in this theme that God wants us to see. See, God's mission always faces opposition. And so there's going to be three things that we'll look at and, and consider this morning as we walk through Nehemiah chapter 4. The first thing is the reality of opposition. The second thing is types of opposition. And the third thing is a right response. How should we respond to opposition? Let's look at that first one. Reality of opposition. The reality of opposition, like, let me start by giving sort of you this, this basic definition of what opposition is. That, that, that'd be helpful, right? Here's a basic definition of opposition as, as we're looking at this chapter. Opposition is anything or anyone 
that, that hinders your perseverance in following Jesus and accomplishing his work. I'll read it again. Opposition is, is really anything or, or anyone that, that, that sort of hinders your perseverance in following Jesus and, and accomplishing his work. And so, look, look following Jesus, we, we've talked before, like following Jesus is about, is about a lot more than just, than just like asking Jesus into your heart, right? Like following Jesus is really, it's, it's about a daily following him. It's not about the moment of conversion. It's about a daily following him, a daily worshiping him, growing in community, engaging on his mission in the world. And so when we talk about opposition this morning, what we're referring to is really anything that gets in the way of that. Anything that gets away in your daily following Jesus. You guys, you guys with me? And so, and so in, Let's look at the first three verses where we see this, this opposition at work here. It says, now, now, now Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, and he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? And then he continues to mock them. And then down in verse 3, he says, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down. He'll break down their, their stone wall. And so, so what we see here. What we see here is we got this guy, this bully, this, this mocker, Sandalat. He's a total bully, right? And, and he's got this gang of other dudes around him. And he's just going ballistic, right? He's just going ballistic on God's people, jeering at them, mocking them at, at God's people as they work on the wall to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And in verse 3, you see this other guy, Tobiah, comes out. You can almost picture he's like... Sambalot's sidekick, right? Like you picture like Captain Hook and Smee, right? Or like Voldemort and Peter Pettigrew, right? Just this, this, this really bad guy and this guy who just like comes up like over his shoulder and, 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 and just, just to join in on the trash talk, right? Like that's who Tobiah is. And he's like, yeah, what you're building looks pathetic. It probably couldn't even haul up a fox, which apparently back then was like a pretty bad burn, right? Like it was a huge burn in those days. Like if, you know, if you were trying to like insult somebody's, somebody's mother, you'd say, hey, your mom's so weak that, uh, you know, she, she probably couldn't carry a fox, right? Like, like that's, uh, you know, I'm, uh, if there's any moms here that don't understand that reference, uh, I sincerely apologize. Um, it just kind of came to me like a few seconds ago. Um, kind of this n- late 90s ref. I-, I won't even, whatever. But um, the point is, um, like, it's, it's just a huge burn, right? Like, like they're mocking God's people. Um, they're just laying it on them. And so you've got this vivid picture, this snapshot of opposition against the mission of God. We mentioned last week, you know, as one theologian has said, like, haters are going to hate, right? Like, that's what's happening here. God's people are getting hated on. They're getting hated on for, for what they're all about. And see, here's what you can't miss from this. Here's what we can't miss from this is that, is that as a general rule of thumb, as a general rule of thumb, like, whenever you're trying to follow God's will, 
I'm not talking like his hidden will, like who am I going to marry? What kind of job am I going to have? But like when you're following God's revealed will, like his revealed will that, that he desires your growth in the gospel. He desires for you to serve in ministry, to, to give your life to, to God's mission in his community. Like his revealed will, whenever we're, uh, you're trying to follow God's will, opposition is always going to come. Opposition is always going to come. It's unavoidable. Jesus said that himself in John 15. Look at the screen with me. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, word, they will also keep yours. And so, you see, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, if you belong to him, if you belong to Jesus, then the life of the Spirit of God has entered into you. The life of the Spirit of God has entered into you, and there's this, there's this newness about you, right? There's this new goodness and grace and power that, is, that has consumed you and reshaped you so that now your, your, your approach to life and to death, your approach to comfort and, and to purpose, like your whole identity, your values have all been so, so transformed that the people around you now, like... They just don't know what's going on with you. Like they're finding it harder and harder day by day to figure out like what is going on with you. Even some of the people that you spend the most time with, that you love and want to serve, like they're they're just looking at you now, saying like we don't know what to, to what to how to make sense of this. And the reason that is, the reason that is, is because look, when you're united in Christ, when you're in Jesus, when you're united in Christ, like you're no longer living with the world's values. You're no longer living with this world's values and priorities and identities. You're now living, as Jesus says, like you're of, like you're of another world, not this one. And so, see, Nehemiah, he didn't face opposition because he was doing something wrong. He didn't face opposition because he was doing something wrong. He actually faced opposition because he was doing it right. He was doing something right. He was serving God. He was sharing. He had... He'd shared God's priorities. You see, the nations that were surrounding Jerusalem, the nations at that time, like they thought that the city, they thought that Jerusalem was a joke. They thought that the walls, working on the walls, were a royal waste of time. Like nobody's eagerly sitting in front of the TV, turning on Fixer Upper on HDTV, like waiting to see how beautiful these new walls are going to look when they're done. Right, like no one's anticipating this. Like they thought the whole project was laughable. They thought the whole thing was insane and just a total waste of time and resources. But God's people, they, they, they even in the midst of that opposition, like they didn't budge from the mission. They didn't budge. You see, if you're really trying to live faithfully as a child of God, you're shaped and formed by the word of God, then like you, you got to count on like you're going to you're going to receive some hate for that. You're going to receive some persecution for that. Now, an important side note. Like sometimes, sometimes some of us, we get hated on not because we're trying to be godly people, because we're just kind of jerks about it. Right. Like sometimes we're just like obnoxious. With our, with our Christianity. 
Well, let's get real. Like, like I mean, I mean, getting persecuted for your faith, like that can be a badge of honor that 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 Christian should wear, right? But but to be real, like sometimes we're persecuted not because we're being so righteous, but sometimes we're we're persecuted because we're being kind of self righteous, right? But we should note that in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we actually see that the new Christians, the first Christians in the first century, they actually found favor with all their neighbors. They found favor with their neighbors because they actually stood for goodness, for justice, and for beauty in ways that no one else did at the time. And so if Jesus is our model... If he's our Lord, and if you're a Christian this morning, then he is, right? Like if Jesus is our Lord and our model, then the more that the glory and the goodness of God is shining out and being sort of like reflected by your life, then the more you're going to both attract people and the more you're also going to repel them. It's going to be both happening, right? You're going to attract some people. You're going to repel others. Does that make sense? Uh, And so every time the people of God throughout the Bible, every time that they're compelled to do a good work, to follow the will of God and to accomplish his mission in the world, like they face opposition. And so we should expect that today too. And so that's the first point, the reality of opposition. The second thing we see is is we're going to talk about different forms of and types of opposition. Different types of opposition. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, hear, O God, for we are despised. They're praying out now because of all, all the, this hate they're getting. They're praying and they're saying, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. And then verse 6, it says that even still, we built the wall. They didn't let... The, the hate hindered the mission. It says, we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. They had a resolve. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be, to be closed, uh, they were angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And so now from from, from this point of of the chapter, I want to talk about a few different kinds of opposition that we face. The first is personal opposition. We've kind of talked a little bit about that already. Personal opposition. You see, and that's personal opposition is people in your life, like actual people, kind of like Sambalat and Tobiah, who just kind of mock you, who will make fun of you, for wanting to be faithful to Jesus. How many of us have ever experienced that? And so they're looking at this group of like, they're looking, uh, Sambal and Tobiah, they're looking in at this group of ordinary people and they're saying, man, those walls that they're rebuilding, it's been destroyed for over 140 years. Like you guys really think you can do this? If you remember like last week when we went through chapter three, you had all kinds of people and none of them were like construction workers, right? You had all kinds of different people who were working on the walls. Like these guys weren't builders. Like a lot, a lot of the people, if you remember from chapter 3, like they were perfumers, right? And so these are guys that just yesterday were like crushing rose petals in a jar. And now Nehemiah gives them like a tool belt and like a bunch of, a bunch of rocks and says like, all right, go for it, Right? And so all these, all these guys, these Tobiah, Sambala, and, and, and their posses, are just mocking the Jews, just hating on them. 
You see, we can face personal opposition like that from strangers like Samla and Tobiah. But we kind of most often face it from people that we know, don't we? We most often face it from people close to us, like a family member, a friend, a, a, a co-worker who maybe does anyone who doesn't like your beliefs or like your lifestyle as a follower of, of Jesus. You know, sometimes I run across like an, an old friend, usually a non-Christian, who just like, they just don't get this, this whole church planning thing. And they're like, hey, I saw this thing on Facebook, like you're starting in a church and like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, do we, do we really need another church? And just so you know, like my thought is that the moment that every church is reaching every person in every neighborhood, like that's when we're going to stop planning churches, right? Like that's when we're just going to stop doing this thing. Like, like in fact, like, our, like we're not just here to plant this church. Like we want to be a church that plants other churches and we want those churches to plant other churches too. Right? Like, that's why we're partnered with, with other churches and with other networks for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Great Commission, because we believe in Jesus' mission to make disciples through church planting. Really, like, the day we'll, we'll, the day we'll call it quits is when Orange County is completely saturated with the gospel. I don't see that happening right now, and so we're going to keep doing this, right? Like, so that we have, we have personal opposition. That's kind of an aside. Personal opposition. The second thing we also see is cultural opposition. Cultural opposition. You may have noticed, but sometimes like Christians kind of get portrayed in a negative way in, in popular culture, right? We get portrayed negatively sometimes in popular culture. Like one common gripe that culture has against Christianity right now is our belief in absolute truth. That truth is real, that there's right and wrong, that those things can be known, and that they've been revealed by God. And they say, look, you can't be absolutely sure about anything. You can't be absolutely sure about anything. But when you ask them if they're absolutely sure about that, then all of a sudden, absolute truth exists, right? It's super convenient. But see, pop culture, right? We see this in pop culture. The pop culture, they oppose our views. They oppose the Bible's views, Jesus' views on whatever is true, on what is good, on what is beautiful, and what is meaningful in this world. It used to be advantageous to call yourself a Christian. If you said you were a Christian, that you were a God-fearer, like a churchgoer, then that meant, you know, that person's probably like a good moral person, right? They got their stuff together. They're, they're, they're good to people. That's, that used to be what that meant. But now it's no longer culturally advantageous to be a Christian, now you don't call yourself a Christian until, unless you're actually like willing to take some hits for it publicly, right? You're not going to publicly consider yourself a follower of Jesus in, in today unless you're willing to take some, some hits for it. Like you don't associate yourself with Jesus these days unless you actually believe in him, unless you actually want to give all for him and want to follow him. You see, there's, and, the, and so we have this, this cultural opposition uh, that we experience, but there's also, uh, and this is probably the, the biggest one. There's also spiritual opposition. Spiritual opposition. Now, like this is like whatever is not tangible, right? Kind of like people and culture; those are kind of more tangible things. Spiritual opposition is kind of like the, the the opposition, the war that happens behind the scenes, behind the curtain. And so that can be like a fear that you have, a personal fear that you have of your, what your friends, your family, your peers will think about you. It can be the constant lust of what the world has to offer. It can be old habits, old ways of thinking. It can even be the kind of the dark secrets that only you know of. 
Like whatever's hidden in the depths of your thought life, whatever's hiding behind the mask that you show everyone else, whatever's hiding on your internet browser or your hard drive at home. You see, ultimately, what's behind all spiritual opposition that Christians face is our adversary, the devil, who Peter says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I want to read you this quote from J.I. Packer, who's this super smart British-born theologian. And J.I. Packer uh, has, has this to say about the, the passage we're reading. He says, look, the real theme of Nehemiah chapters 4 through 6 is actually spiritual warfare. And Nehemiah's real opponent, who's been lurking behind all his human opponents and critics and grumblers that were occupying his attention directly, his, Nehemiah's real opponent was Satan, whose name means adversary, and who operates as, as the permanent enemy of God, of God's people, and God's praise. And whenever God initiates something for his praise, like a church plant, Satan is always there, trying to keep pace with him planning ways of spoiling and frustrating the divine project. You see, sometimes we kind of minimize the enemy of God. We minimize the devil to what we see in like Halloween costumes, right? Like sort of this deformed, red-colored, cartoon-looking elf with like horns, a pointy tail, and like this Van Dyke beard, right? But he is a real enemy, He is, the Bible says, a real enemy who wages war. He wages war behind the scenes against God's people. Against God's people. And he he sort of leverages whatever's broken in us. He leverages whatever's broken in human will and human temptations and desires. And he works in the shadows to come against the will of God and his church. You see, it's a, it's a great mistake. It's a huge mistake to kind of brush him off as like just this mere superstition. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it would be a huge mistake to brush off God's enemy as mere superstition. There's this 19th century French poet named Charles Baudelaire who wrote, the devil's best trick is to persuade you that he does not exist. You see, we can't miss this. We can't miss this. We have to recognize that any great ambition, any great ambition for God and His will will always be met with opposition. It will always be met with opposition because the great enemy of our souls not only hates us, he hates our God. You know what's the kind of thing that kind of pulls us off the wall? You know, like like God's people were building the wall. You know what's the kind of thing that would pull them off the wall, that would pull us off mission, that would get us off mission? It's, it's when we don't expect opposition. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that pulls us off mission, is when we don't expect to face opposition, when we're surprised by it. You see, if we don't expect opposition and we'll get blindsided by it, we'll get surprised by it, discouraged by it, and, or, or we'll just like avoid it all together. Yesterday afternoon, I was uh, looking over my notes for, for, for this sermon that I'm preaching right now, and, and I was like, man, uh, 
I was like bummed. I was like, this this sermon kind of stinks, right? Like I. I was like, I'm not feeling good about this. I'm like really, really bummed about it. I was, uh, I was talking to, to, uh, to my wife, Alyssa, about it. And, and she was like, she reminded me that, uh, man, this, this thing that we do uh, on, on Sunday mornings, it's, it's not about any one person. It's not about any one sermon. Uh, but it's about God doing his work through his word for his people. And God's still in control, right? God's still in control, and I, and I was I was over, overthinking it. I was I was so focused on myself and my performance in this sermon, and I wasn't concerned about the things of God and His character and His mission. I texted um, I, I, at the time I was talking to Alyssa. I texted Oscar and um, some of my buddies that I went through my my residency with, and um, and they encouraged me in the same way. You know, Oscar reminded me. He's like, "Hey, man, like rejoice that it's not about you." Right? Like it's about Jesus. It's about his mission. And there's there's freedom in that. You see, when we don't expect that we're gonna be discouraged, when we don't expect that we're gonna be tempted, when we don't expect that we're gonna face opposition, then we get surprised by it and we get crushed by it. You see, but God gives us a promise. It says in first John chapter four, verse four, it's, it'll be on the screen. It's, he says Look, little children, he says, remember, you are from God, and you have overcome them, speaking about the enemies of God. He says, for he who is in you, God who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. God who is in you is greater than the enemy who is in the world. You see, we can rejoice today that even though the enemy is real, he does not reign. Amen? Even though the enemy is real, he does not reign. Jesus does, right? And so in the face of personal, cultural, spiritual opposition, we can rejoice that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And that leads us into our last point, a right response to opposition. How should we rightly respond now to opposition? Look at verse 9 with me in Nehemiah 4. He says, And then we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them, against the enemies, day and night. Now notice what God's people don't do here. Notice what they don't do. They don't lob insults back. They don't mock back. They don't throw up a finger, right? Like Nehemiah and the people of God were just silent before their enemies. They were silent before their opponents. Instead of responding to them, they prayed to God. You see, you don't entertain or respond to mocking by mocking back. Again, Jesus is our model, right? Jesus is our model, our archetype, our Lord, our teacher. And the Bible says that when Jesus was standing in our place on the cross, getting jeered at, getting spit on, getting mocked and beaten, he offered no threats back. He offered no threats back. Instead, instead he entrusted himself and his situation to the one who judges righteously, to the one who vindicates his own. Nehemiah does the same thing here, and he prays. 
Moving on, let's move down to, to verse 14. Uh, read it with me. He says, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people there, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of these guys. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So here, he acknowledges, here's what he's acknowledging. He's acknowledging that God is bigger than the opposition. God is bigger than, he's greater than, he's more awesome and amazing than the opposition. You see, Nehemiah, he pointed them toward, he pointed the people who were all scared, he pointed them toward God. He got them together, he got them ready for the work, and then he turned their eyes and their hearts to their great God. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Instead, remember, consider, meditate on the fact that the Lord is great and awesome. You see, whenever we face opposition, when we face hate, when we are on the other side of mockery and jeering, when we face that kind of opposition, the temptation that we have is to fix our eyes on our circumstances to fix our eyes on the trouble that's right in front of us. And so we obsess. We obsess over the haters, like allowing their criticism to define how we view ourselves. Instead, we need our hopes to be informed by the word of God to fix our eyes on Jesus. There's that old hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Question this morning is, when, when you face opposition, when you face opposition, when you're, you're tempted by your own sin, when you're opposed by, by those who would ridicule you for your faith in Jesus, like where do, you, where do you turn your eyes? Where do you fix your, your eyes? Nehemiah tells them, he says, fix your eyes on our great and awesome God. Turn your eyes to the God who's greater than your enemies. Turn your eyes to the God who's greater and more satisfying than your sin and temptation. The awesome God, this awesome God is this great God. He's perfect in all his attributes. He's all satisfying. He's the supreme standard for all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful in his created world. His power, his rule, his benevolent reign is sovereign in all the universe. He's untouchable. And if you belong to him, then so are you. You see, Nehemiah says, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling opposed, oppressed, when you're feeling tempted, Fix your eyes on the Lord God Almighty. Acknowledge that He is the great and awesome one, not not those other people over there. Like our hope is not in their approval. Our hope is in the greatness of God's grace. 
That is our hope when, when we face this, this opposition. And so let, let's let the weight of that sink in, right? Like let the weight of his greatness just sink in. Let the weight and the depth of his love and grace sink in. Remember it. Rehearse it. Return to it. And then he says in the rest of that verse, he says, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In other words, Nehemiah says, look, this mission that you're on, this mission that you're on, like for, for them, it was building, rebuilding the city. For us, it's planning a church. And Nehemiah says, look, this mission that you're on, the reason that you're on it and that you're laboring and fighting, the reason that you're doing that is about, it's more than about just you. It's what Oscar reminded me of yesterday. It's about more than just you. This mission is bigger than any of us. Christianity isn't just about your relationship with God as a single person. I mean, it is about that. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's about more than that. It's, Christianity is not just about your personal relationship with God. It's about a collective people in different regions, in different continents, through different times and generations. It's about a collective people with a single mission. You see, the reason that we need to persevere against opposition is that the mission affects, it affects our families, our relationships, our, our, our homes, our community for generations and generations to come. See, that is worth fighting for. That is worth laboring for. Let's close by looking at a few verses right after in verse 15 through 18. Nehemiah, now he says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the work. We returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Here's a fun fact. You may have noticed I have a couple tattoos, right? It's kind of one of my things, right? And I have Nehemiah... Chapter 4, verse 17, actually tattooed on, on, my, on my, I forget what side, on my forearm. Uh, and on that tattoo, it has a picture of, of a sword and a trowel, because in, in this verse, it says they labored with one hand and held their weapon in the other. And so you're probably thinking, like, what a random verse to get, right? <laughs> but I actually got the idea from, from an old and dead preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. They called him the Prince of Preachers. I named my son after him. And he's, he's the most widely read preacher outside of the Bible. And, and Spurgeon, he had this, this monthly magazine, this monthly magazine published that he called The Sword and the Trowel, and that was based on, on this verse. 
And when someone asked him, he's like, well, it's so random. Why did you name it the sword in the trowel? He said, it was because, you know, a big part of the reality of the Christian life that we live in is that the work of following Jesus, the work of following Jesus always comes with the work of fighting our own sin and persevering in spite of the haters. It's kind of my paraphrase of what he said. Um, and so ministry, he said, is both building and defending. Building and defending. It's not one or the other. It's, it's both. And see, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. That's the laboring work that Jesus does. Jesus saves people. He adopts them into God's family. And he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the defending part that Jesus does. Jesus fights for his people and he protects us. And so now, as followers of Jesus, we also labor by the grace of God to be on the same mission as him. Making disciples, planting churches, Building our lives, our families, our businesses on the greatness of God and His grace. And then also as followers of Jesus, we also defend it. We defend it through staying in the Word, which Paul calls the sword of the Spirit, by praying to God, by giving our resources and our talents, all for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. Read verse 20 with me, and then we'll close out. Verse 20, he says, Now in the place, he's telling the people, Look, now in the place when you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. You see, Nehemiah and his mission actually pointed forward to Jesus and his greater mission, right? Nehemiah had a mission, but Jesus had a greater mission. Jesus' mission wasn't to rebuild broken walls. It was to rebuild, redeem, and renew a broken people by fighting sin and death. Jesus endured opposition at every point in his ministry, even to the point of his death on a cross. And when he gave his own life on that cross, he did it so that undeserving sinners like you and like me could be adopted into God's forever family. Our God will fight for us. That's the good news. Our God will will fight for us. So are you facing opposition this morning? Like, is there an area of your life that you're facing opposition? Is it a personal opposition? Is it, is it cultural? Is it spiritual? Are you fighting lingering sin? If any of that applies to you, then, then remember, remember, as Nehemiah says, your great and awesome God. Remember your great and awesome God. He's a God who fights for us. And the proof of that is in his cross and the empty tomb. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. 
Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening. 